Be seated, please. So I'd love for you to join me in 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18, we won't stay there the whole time today, but we do want to use that story to illustrate what we're going to be talking about. See how well Joel handled those names a few minutes ago? Next time I'm going to give him the genealogies of Genesis 10 or something, but he, he, he went through that too, uh, too easily. 2 Kings 18 is a story obviously about Hezekiah, but it's really not about Hezekiah. Most of the stories in the Bible aren't about Hezekiah or David or Abraham or Isaac or Paul or Peter or Mary or Hannah. They're, they're about what God is doing and Hezekiah is no exception to that. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I do want you to reflect on this for a minute. You start, does anybody in this church today struggle with anxiety? <clears throat> you worry? Do you, do, you, do you struggle? Does anybody in this church today struggle with uncertainty about the future? You worry about our country? Do events like this past week in Florida, do they concern you about the future of our country? <clears throat> do political events and elections and the rise and fall of the Dow Jones, do, do those things cause you to lose sleep at night? I think probably the answer to all those questions would be yes for most of us. We, we struggle. We, we're anxious. We, we worry a bit. Do you ever struggle to obey God as consistently as you wish? Do you find yourself doing the things that you know you shouldn't do and leaving undone the things you know you ought to do, even though intellectually you know what you ought to do and ought not to do, but you struggle to be as obedient as, as you, as you want to be? you ever struggle with that? Last week, did you struggle with that at all? <clears throat> why is it? Why is it? Why, why, do we, why do we have these issues? When we know something to be right, why don't we just do it? When we know something to be wrong, why don't we just avoid it? We know we shouldn't worry or be anxious about the future, and nonetheless we are at times. Why is that? You ever, you ever think about this? We've been doing some pretty, the uh, last few weeks been doing some kind of theological stuff with a you know, the four-part series on covenant and holiness and glory and atonement. Some of that was, I guess, sort of, sort of deep stuff in a way. I want today, I hope today will be a little bit more practical to take a, a bit of a break from weighing in some deep theological waters and just talk about something that's very practical, and that is trusting God. This is a, this is a very important thing, and as I said in the introduction today at the beginning of worship, this is something that I've, I've come to realize when I, when I think about you know, what's the story of the Bible about? I mean, what, what does God want from us? As far as our role in, in, in being obedient to God, what does God want from us? And I think, that, I think the answer to that is God's asking a question every day of you and me. He's asking a question, and that question is, are you going to trust me today? Are you going to trust me today? When you go to work, are you going to trust me today? When you're hanging out at school, are you going to trust me? When you're waiting on the MRI to come back, are you going to trust me? When you look at your 401k, are you going to trust me? When you hear about another shooting, are you going to trust me? 
When you get the MRI result back and it's not what you wanted it to be, are you going to trust me? When you're having problems in your marriage, when your teenager is rebellious, are you going to trust me? When you get the big raise at work, you get the promotion that you've been wanting for so many years, are you going to trust me? When you have worked on a graduate degree for a long time and put sweat and toil and tears into that dissertation, are you going to trust me when you walk across the stage? Are you going to trust me when everything's going your way? Are you going to trust me when nothing is going your way? The question God is asking again and again and again is, do you trust me no matter what happens? <clears throat> I really think you can almost throw a dart at the stories of the Bible and you'll find that question being asked. When Genesis 3 tells us the story of Adam and Eve and God instructing Adam in Genesis 2, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for one. In the day that you eat of it, you'll die. And he didn't tell him the why or Here's, here's what I've got going on. This is the reason for it. You get to Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve are faced with a question. And the question isn't, are you going to eat the fruit or not? The question is, are you going to trust me or not? That was the question being asked. It had nothing to do with the fruit. It had everything to do with where Adam and Eve going to trust God even when they didn't understand everything that was going on. Why should we not? Satan provided some pretty convincing reasons why they should just go ahead and eat it. But the question wasn't, are you going to eat it? The question was, are you going to trust me? When they sent 12 spies into Canaan, when they were there getting ready to go into the land that God had promised Abraham a long time earlier, and they sent the 12 spies into the land, and they spent 40 days spying out the land, looking at the cities, looking at the vineyards, looking at the land. And they came back, and, and you remember, all 12 of them agreed on one thing at least, and they agreed on the fact that this land is exactly what God said it would, it would be. I mean, it's beautiful. The, the, the vineyards are amazing. The cities are impressive. And it's, it is indeed a land that flows with milk and honey, to use that Old Testament expression. It's beautiful. But 10 of them disagreed with the other two, or I should say the two disagreed with the other 10. What was the question being asked when the 12 spies went into the land? What was the question? And when they got back and they gave their report to the gathered nation of Israel as they're about to go into the land that they had been anticipating their whole lives and really this lineage had been anticipating for hundreds of years, what was the question that God was asking them as they looked across that valley and they looked into the land of Canaan? What was the question? <clears throat> Do you trust me? Ten of them said, no, we really don't actually trust you because those cities, God, have you seen those cities? I mean, I know you're, you're, right about the, you're right about the vineyards and all that, but have you seen the cities? Have you seen the size of those people? Have you seen the armies that they've got? The spears, the bows and arrows, have you seen that? Ten of them said, we can't take this land. There's no way. Two of them said, guys, come on. God told us to trust him. The people believed the ten. They didn't listen to the two. But, but really, what was going on at Kadesh Barnea when they sent the spies into the land? God was seeking an answer to the question, do you trust me or do you not? Again, you can almost throw a dart. When Peter was on the boat with the other disciples and Jesus came walking across the water to them, this is in Matthew 14, and Peter, for a moment, you know, he saw the, Jesus, they were all scared, but then they recognized who it was. And Peter said, let me come out onto the water with you. And, and Jesus said, come on. And Peter started walking. What was the question being asked at that moment? The 
question being asked of Peter is the same question God's asking you and me today. And that is, do you trust me? Peter did for a minute. But then you remember what the text says. He started feeling the wind. He started looking at the waves. And he started hearing the storm. And he took his eyes off of Jesus Christ. And he stopped trusting. And Jesus, of course, reached out and grabbed him. And he said, oh, Peter, why didn't you just trust me? Why, why didn't you believe? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why don't, why don't you just trust me? I mean, the question is asked over and over and over again. <clears throat> and it affects everything that we are, everything we do, everything we feel or think or believe. And so you got the story in 2 Kings 18. I mean, this is a great story, but it's one of many. I really don't think this story is about Hezekiah so much as it is about God. In fact, I'm pretty convinced of that. I mean, you can go to a lot, a lot of places, obviously. This story is a story right in the middle of what, what was normally called the divided kingdom. You, know, you got Saul, David, Solomon, United Kingdom. <clears throat> After that, everything goes awry. The 12 tribes are divided from the, one from the other, basically 10. Go in the north, and you got two in the south, and it's a bad time in Israel's history. The divided kingdom, you got a whole bunch of kings in the north. Absolutely none of them trusted God. Not in, not in any way um, consistently. None of them did. None of them trusted God. In the south, you had a bunch of kings, and most of them didn't trust him. But you had, you had a handful that did. You had a handful that did. One of them was Hezekiah. And, and it's important to, to look at what Hezekiah does in the context of his time. Because in the, in the context of his time, I mean, he was preceded by and followed by a lot of kings who didn't trust in God at all. And in the middle of that darkness, you have somebody shining like a light, like Hezekiah in and I mean, you picked up on some of the language of this text, right? 2 Kings 18. But what I wanted you to hear especially is I wanted you to hear what it says in verse 5. Did you pick up on that when Joel read it? Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord. That's the most important verse in, maybe in all of 2 Kings. One of the most important verses in all of the Old Testament, in all the Bible. Because what you've got here is you've got the distillation of what it means to be in a relationship with God. He trusted in the Lord. At the end of our lives, you and I, if we're given that moment of clarity, that moment of time before our leaving this life, we're going to, I hope, we get a moment of clarity and we're going to look back on our lives and we're either going to look at our lives, people are going to talk about us at our funeral, and they're going to look at our lives as, as one of two things. He trusted in the Lord or not. I can't think of a better epitaph. Not going to care. I mean, this is cliche, I know. Not going to care about the stock portfolio. Not going to care about the corner office. Not going to care about a whole lot of stuff we care about right now. But what we're going to care about at that particular moment, what's going to matter is, did he, did she trust in the Lord or not? That's all that's going to matter. And it says of, of Hezekiah, I mean, this is, this is a great epitaph. This is a great statement. He trusted in the Lord. No matter what else we know about Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was not a perfect man. He made, he made some blunders. <clears throat> but as Jeff was saying in his communion thoughts, Hezekiah put his focus on the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. Verse 5, 
And then it goes on and it says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. I mean, can you think of anything better than that? He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. I'll come back in a moment and explore a little bit of the implications of what it means to trust in God. But really what I want you to see here for the most part is that the most important question that God is asking of us, that he's asking us daily is, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust something else? Trust. Let's talk about it for a minute. This sermon actually started in my mind at a different place. I was thinking about doing just kind of a basic, fundamental kind of sermon, and I hope still it will be that, something like that. But I was actually thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you become a Christian? Just, just something very basic. Like, what must I do to be saved? That, that, that sort of question. How do you become a Christian? And of course... Part of your response to God in becoming a Christian, and really the, the essence of what it means to become a Christian is what? It's not about, it's not about baptism. It's not about confession. Only, only to the extent that those relate to this. And, and the this, the foundation of your becoming a Christian is, is what? Is saying, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Him. I believe in Him as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to turn my life over to Him. I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going to do what he wants. I'm going to live for him. That's going, to, that's going to be the definition of my life is being a disciple of Jesus. That leads to repentance. That leads you to confession. That leads you to the waters of baptism. So that's where this started in my mind. Just in looking at it in that, in that little isolated situation of coming to faith in Jesus. But as I started thinking about it this week, it, it kind of, I started realizing, no, you can't, you can't just talk about trust in the, in the context of hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, though it's, there's nothing wrong with talking about it in that sense. But that, I believe that's a little bit too simplistic and superficial kind of way of talking about faith. This is the essence of what it means to be a child of God. It's do you trust? And it's all over the Bible, as we've already said. And, and thinking about trust and belief, and this applies to your coming to faith in Jesus, but it's beyond that. It, there are four things. All right, number one, it has to do with your intellect. In fact, you can't really have full trust if you don't have the intellectual conviction. So you think about it. When you're coming to faith in Jesus, what is important for you to become a Christian? What role does your intellect have? In, in some way, you're going to wrestle with the claims of Jesus Christ, the historical claims of Jesus. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be fully man, fully God. He claimed to do miracles. He claimed to, the Bible claims that Jesus came out of the tomb on Sunday morning. A lot of historical fact kind of claims, right? And so intellectually, you have to come to, in your mind to a conviction, I believe those historical claims to be true. And so that's part of trust. That's not all of trust. That's part of it. In fact, you can believe some of the claims of Jesus. In fact, there are a lot of people out there. They believe that Jesus was, uh, I don't know, intellectually they believe he was the son of God, maybe born of the Virgin Mary, maybe believed he died on Calvary, maybe even believed he bodily was resurrected from the tomb on Sunday morning. Maybe intellectually believe that, but they're living the kind of lives that don't reflect that faith. You see, so you can have an intellectual conviction in Jesus and not have trust. You can believe and not trust. You can believe and not have the accompanying signs of faith. But it's part of it. In fact, it'd be hard to be a follower of Jesus if you didn't believe in Jesus, right? 
or if you didn't believe you worked miracles, if you didn't believe some of the essential claims about Jesus in Scripture, then I would suggest to you that you're not fully on board with what it means to be a Christian if you don't agree with what the Bible says about him. So there's the intellect involved. It's, it's what, you, what you believe. Then you also have this. It's volitional. It's, it's your will, your, your wants, your desires. It changes this. If you trust in God, if you really do, if we do, if I do, it's going to change what you want. Your, your will, your desire. You see, if you fully believe, if you believe that that tomb was empty on Sunday morning, if you believe that, I mean, you really believe it. If you really believe that God is God, that there's a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent God who rules this world, if you believe that Jesus is reigning at the right hand of that God now, if you believe in Father, Son, and Spirit, if you believe that intellectually, it changes what you want to get out of life. It changes what you want to do. You don't have the same desires, hopes, and dreams as people who don't have faith in God. I mean, really, honestly, right? A theist is going to have different desires out of life than an atheist. A believer in Christ is going to have different dreams, hopes, and desires than an agnostic. It changes what we want because we recognize that it's not about getting to Friday night. It's not about getting the nest egg built up. That's not what it's about. We want something more. We realize we are more than merely flesh and bones. We're more than just molecules in motion. We're more than just an IQ or a race or a gender or an orientation. We're more than that. And so we want something more. Because we believe in something more, right? So what you believe changes what you want. Your intellect flows into your volition, into your will. And then it also changes what you feel, your emotions. It has an emotional component. We've probably downplayed this, don't you think? By emphasizing the intellect more than the emotion. By focusing sometimes on the intellect to the exclusion of emotion. And so we downplay emotion in worship. We downplay emotion in religion sometimes in our own history. Did you, I don't know if you agree with that or not. I, th I think it's true. Truth be told, though, God made us as whole beings. And we're not merely... I, I was reading one author, J author James K.A. Smith, in a book, and he uses this expression. It's kind of stuck with me. He says, we're not just brains on a stick. That was his expression. We're more than that. We're more than just intellect. We're not just brains on a stick. We have hearts. We have emotions. And when you trust in Christ, when you believe in God, when you fully commit yourself to Him intellectually, volitionally, it changes your emotions. You, you'll, you'll cry about things you didn't cry about before. You'll, you'll get angry about things you didn't get angry about before. It changes what you feel when you trust, when you, when you really totally believe. See, what I'm wanting you to see here is that trust is a whole body kind of thing. It's a whole heart, soul, mind, and strength kind of thing. It's, it's something, something God wants us to be convicted about, not just intellectually, not just brains on a stick. Change is what you do. I would guess that in our background, uh, maybe I, I can't speak for all of you. I can speak for me, I guess. I would say the first and fourth, or what I've thought about more than the two and three, thought about intellect. There's a strong intellectual tradition in churches of Christ. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just reflecting on what is. 
strong intellectual tradition, what you, what you think. And so a, a, a lot of logic, a lot of, a lot of, you know, if A, then B, and if B, then C, and all this. A lot of emphasis on this, what you do. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks a lot about what we do. Maybe not as much on emotion. Maybe not as much on changing our hearts, our desires. But certainly you've got this. You've got, you've got this, this, this practical kind of thing that's associated with trust. That's why I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem at all with saying we are saved by faith. I don't feel like I have to put an asterisk on that. That I have to put a footnote on that and say faith also includes obedience. I wish we didn't have to do that because if you understand biblical trust, if you understand the way the Bible defines trust and faith, it always changes what you do. It always does. And so I wish we understood faith well enough not to have to put that asterisk on it all the time. The caveat that always following, but well, if you, if you believe, then you'll also do. That's true. It's true. That's always been true. In fact, the, the, the story about Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18. Did you notice? You notice that? I mean, right in the middle of this, verse 5, he trusted in the Lord. What does that mean, though? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, I think intellectually for Hezekiah, man, he believed God's promises. He believed God would do what he said he was going to do. God had told him. God had told Hezekiah and the other kings, look, if you're faithful to me, I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about the Assyrians. They can surround your city with 185,000 soldiers like they did. They can do that. That ain't no big deal. 185,000, is that all they got? I love how the text puts it. You know, later on, it, it puts it that 185,000 Assyrians woke up dead. Kind of a contradiction, isn't it? Basically, it means they didn't wake up. They woke up dead. Why? Because those people had allied themselves against the God of heaven, and Hezekiah chose to trust in the Lord. And when people trust in the Lord, there's nothing God can't do. He trusted in the Lord, but what does that mean? I mean, you look at the text here, all sorts of verbs here. I mean, what does the first part of this chapter say? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. When you trust in the Lord, this is why this is foundational. We could spend a whole lot less time talking about what's right and what's wrong. I'm not saying we don't need to talk about that. We do. We can, we can talk a whole lot less about all these things we ought to be doing and all these things we ought not to be doing. We can do a whole lot less talking about that. Maybe we should talk less about that and just talk more about, look, trust in the Lord. Trust in Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Turn yourself over to Him fully, completely, unreservedly. And what will happen? You will do the right thing. And you will hate the wrong thing. He trusted in the Lord. What did he do? He did the right thing, verse 3. It affected him practically, his actions. He removed the high places. That's the places where they worshiped idols and these false gods. Why? Because he trusted in the Lord. That's why. He removed the high places. He broke the pillars. He, he cut down the Asherah. That's these, these goddesses. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that came from the book of Numbers, and they had turned it into an idol. Uh, he trusted in the Lord, verse 5, so that there was none like him. And then verse 6, he held fast to the Lord. He didn't depart from following him. He kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, it affects, it certainly flows out of intellect in some sense. It's what you believe. It's what you want. It's what you feel. It's what you do. God is asking us over and over again, do you trust me? That's what he wants. 
That's what he wants more than anything. I think sometimes we've, we've talked about actions so much that we've, we've kind of created an environment that it's all about, well, am I faithful to the Lord? Well, let's see. I did this. I do this. I do this. I do this. And I don't do that. I don't do that. And I don't do that. And I don't do that. So the answer to your question is, yeah. I do this and I don't do that. It's all about, it's all about number four. Whereas I think what God wants more than that, at least certainly as a point of emphasis, what God wants is, do you trust me? When, when, when you don't know how this thing's going to work out, do you trust me? When you have no clue what's going to happen in your marriage, you, you have no idea what that MRI is going to show. You don't know if you're going to be able to have enough money to pay rent next month. If, if you don't know what you're going to do with your, with your kids, you know, their attitudes or their actions or whatever, do you trust me? That's the story of the Bible. Again and again. I mean, why do we have stories? And God does this. I mean, he just does it. He tells Abraham to go offer your son Isaac. Doesn't tell him anything about it. I mean, I don't know why. Why, why does God do that? Why does God lead you to the land of Canaan and, and takes you in there with all these giants in the land? Why, why does he tell Abraham to offer his son Isaac? Why, why does God tell Noah to build an ark without really explaining how all this stuff's going to work out? Why, why does... Why does God lead us to a point? Why doesn't God just show us everything? Why does God lead us to a point and then he leaves some things vague or uncertain about the future? It's because a relationship with God is going to be based on trust. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. You trust me. You trust me. That's what Hezekiah was being asked. And that's what we're being asked. You see, it changes everything. It changes everything. I asked you some questions a few minutes ago about anxiety and fear and uncertainty. It probably strikes a nerve with most of us because you look back on our relationship to God and sometimes it's characterized by unneeded anxiety about so many things, about health, about family, about our future, about our country, about how's this all going to work? Lord, connect the dots for me. Show me the plan. <laughs> Show me how all this is going to happen. And God says, no, I'm not going to do it. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Our trust in God, or lack of it, affects everything. I really think, practically speaking, the way you and I live our lives, it's affected more by this question than anything else. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way that you face difficulties when that MRI comes back, when the doctor walks in the room, when you get the phone call from the police officer. How are you going to handle it? How are we going to handle it? The answer to that question will be based to a great extent on do you really trust that God has this thing in his hands? Do, do you trust that or do you not? You know, that's, that's the question we all have to wrestle with. So many things happen, good and bad. And the way we respond to those flow out of our answer to this question. I mean, it's not just the bad things, it's, it's the success. 
we, we, often we do better handling the bad stuff than we do the good stuff. How often have, has success ruined people? How often has money or a title or you know, um, a claim from the world, how often have, have those things just messed us up? Why? Because we didn't trust God. Our, our trust was in money. Our trust was in success. Or our trust was in a degree. Or our trust was in health. Our trust was in something tangible, something the world trusted, rather than God. And so we can't handle failure or we can't handle success. But we'll handle both when those aren't places where we placed our idol. But rather, our God is God. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. And He's omnibenevolent. And so whatever He does, I can handle because He wouldn't have let it happen if I couldn't handle it. And so we trust in the Lord. So let me ask you this. We'll close with this question. I'd love for you to, we'll, we'll explore this Wednesday night. I do hope you'll come back and be a part of our discussion classes Wednesday. And I think there's, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with this. And I hope you'll come back Wednesday and be a part of one of our classes as we reflect on how this plays out, you know? So this will be one of the questions we'll talk about Wednesday. How would it, tra- how would it change your life this week? Think about it. How would it change your anxiety, your fear, your uncertainty, your happiness, your joys, whatever. How would it affect you practically tomorrow through next Saturday if you lived your life fully? Get this, we're done, okay? How would it change your life every day this week if you just trusted in God completely and said, Lord, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but you do. And I'm going to turn it over to you. Casting all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. It's, that's what trust is. It's saying, Lord, you take care of this. You take care of this. Because I, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. But I know, you can. I know you can. It's laying those burdens down at the feet of an omnipotent, omnibenevolent God. And saying, Lord, I'm going to live the life you created me to live. And I'm going to trust in you. Lord willing. We'll talk about this Wednesday practically in our classes. And Lord willing, next Sunday, I hope you'll come back. And I want to do this. is just going to be a two-parter, all right? But the second part of this is going to be How? How do we learn to trust? All I wanted to convince you today, really, is that this is, this is extremely important and that it, it, it causes so many of our struggles today because we struggle in this area. But I hope you'll come back next Sunday and we're going to explore a follow-up question. That question is, okay, I believe you. We, we all agree that this is true. I want to know how to do that. And so we'll, we'll reflect on that next Sunday morning. I hope you'll be back with us again. If you're not a Christian today, you know what you need to do? I hope you can answer that by this point. You know what you need to do? You need to trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. You believe in Him with all your heart intellectually. You give your heart to Him. You give your emotions, your desires. And yes, you give Him your actions. You give Him everything you are. Everything you are. So you trust in Him. That's what you need to do. You'll express that in baptism as a public identification with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we would love to baptize you today. Maybe you need to come back to him today because your, your life has been characterized by lack of trust rather than trust. Something maybe you can take care of between you and the Lord. Go home today and pray about it. Maybe if we can help you in a public way, we'll, we'll do that as well. Do you trust in the Lord more than anything? Let's stand. Let's sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.